0: Hi, welcome to the Freehoff Institute of Progressive Halakha. I'm Rabbi Mark Wachofsky with the 12-Minute Shi'ur number 37, Jewish Law, The Quiet Revolution. We're working from a source sheet that you can download at our website, www.freehoffinstitute.org learning, and then scroll down to the 12-Minute Shi'ur. In this installment, we're going to focus on a revolution, a revolution in the system of Jewish law carried out by the rabbis of Babylonia back in Talmudic times. We call it a revolution because we think theirs was a power grab, an act of audacity or chutzpah that on its face seems totally unauthorized by any precedents or provisions of the existing law. And we call it a quiet revolution because in spite of that chutzpah, they claimed that their power grab was entirely legitimate, not a revolution at all. That revolution and the claim for its legitimacy are all expressed in a two word Aramaic formula, Shlihutaiho Avdinan. We act as their agents. Now, some background. Let's begin by describing the theory of Jewish law according to the Torah, which, of course, means the Torah as understood by the rabbis. In Exodus 21, verse 1, lines 3 and 5 on the source sheet, we read, These are the laws you shall set before them. Now, in the context of the verse, them means the people of Israel, but the rabbis read it differently. Take a look at our next text from the Talmud, Gittin 85b, lines 10 through 17. Tanya, Haya Rabbi Tarfon Omer, Baraita, Rabbi Tarfon used to say, whenever you find non-Jewish law courts, even when their laws are the same as Jewish law, you are not permitted to resort to them. As it is said in Exodus chapter 21, ve'eleha mishpatim, these are the laws you shall set before them. Now, in Parashat Mishpatim, laws, in chapters 21 through 23 of Exodus, includes the whole range of matters that come before a Jewish law court, a Beit Din, matters civil, criminal, and ritual. So you shall set these mishpatim, these laws, lifnehem, before them, and, as the Midrash continues, not before Gentile courts. Devaracher, another interpretation, before them means not before hedyotot, that is, lay judges. In other words, a major requirement for judges in the Jewish legal system is that they not be lay persons or yotot. Instead, they must possess smicha, judicial ordination. Rambam codifies this requirement in his Mishnah Torah, lines 20 through, through, 22 through 42. Echad beidin din ha-gadol ve'echad sanhedrin ketanai, any court, whether the beidin din ha-gadol, the smaller sanhedrin of 23 judges, or a three-judge beidin, must include one member who is ordained, that is, who possesses smicha by another ordained judge samuch mi pi now line 23 umochra samach Yehoshua beyad sheneamar moses our rabbi ordained samach joshua through the laying on of hands and so forth the result is that line 24 benimsa u ish mi ish ad Beit Dinoshel shel the chain of judges ordained by ordained judges reaches back to the Beit Din of Joshua and to the Beit Din of Moses, our rabbi. What this means is that the legitimacy of the Jewish legal system in all generations is founded upon this grant of power that originates with Moses and is transferred from teacher to student through the ritual of smicha. By the way, as we read in lines 36 through 42, that ritual after the days of Moses did not involve the physical laying on of the hands. Rather, they called the recipient by the title Rabbi or Rabbi. A further detail is that this ordination took place only in Eretz Yisrael, as we read in Rambam, Hilchot Sanhedrin 4 4, lines 47 through 52. Ein Karui Elohim. Only a Beit Din that is nismach, or ordained, in Eretz Yisrael qualifies for the title Elohim, a word that's used in Parashat Mishpatim, in Exodus chapters 21 and 22, to refer to judges. They are the scholars, the Shoftim, who are fit to act as judges. They have been examined by the Beit of Eretz Yisrael, Who appoint them and ordain them? Samhuotan. There are no judges—that is, real judges, judges who wield the full range of judicial powers granted to the biblical shoftim—other than those who are ordained, who receive smicha in Eretz Yisrael from judges who themselves possess smicha from other ordained judges. Now, in theory, this is a power st- powerful statement of faith that those who dispense justice in Israel are authorized to do so by the Torah itself, for they are the direct descendants, legally speaking, of Moses and Joshua. In practice, though, there's uh, there's a problem. Ever since the destruction of the first temple, a large part, and historians suggest it was the majority of the Jewish community, has lived in the diaspora and we know, for example, that most of the Amoraim, the sages of Babylonia during the Talmudic period, did not possess Smicha; they did not carry the title rabbi. So, under the theory of the halakha, how could they function legitimately as judges? For that matter, we also know that the practice of Smicha has been discontinued. We don't know exactly why, we know it has been discontinued for over a thousand years. How did rabbinic judges in the Middle Ages, to say nothing of judges today, exercise legitimate judicial power, if they were and are not semuchim, ordained? Well, here's where the revolution comes in. Talmud Bavli Gitin eighty-eight b, lines fifty-seven through seventy, Abaye Ashkachel Rav Yosef diatev vekam mease agite. Abaye found Rav Yosef presiding in court and coercing recalcitrant husbands to issue divorces to their wives. Now, that's the sort of enforcement power that belongs exclusively to Smuchim. Nobody else is authorized to wield it, but Rav Yosef does not possess ordination. He's called by the title Rav, but he's not Rabi, right? So Abaye objects. Vaha anan hedyotot anan. On what authority do you do this? We, that is, we Babylonians, are only hedyotot, lay judges. As proof, Abaye cites the Baraita of Rabbi Tarfon, which we read in lines 10 through 17. Serious legal matters like this one must be brought before ordained judges. So how can you do this? And Rav Yosef replies Anan shlichotaiho ka'avdinan. We act in this matter as the agents of the ordained judges, just as we do on matters of admissions and loans. The claim is that the Simuchim, the ordained judges of Eretz Yisrael, have granted the Babylonians power of attorney, deputizing them to act in their own place, in place of the Simuchim, in matters of divorce law, just as they have with respect to commercial cases like loans. What makes this revolutionary is that we have no evidence from Tanaitic sources, from the Mishnah or Baraita, or any literature from Eretz Yisrael, that the rabbis there ever issued any sort of takana or edict bestowing their powers upon their non-ordained colleagues in the diaspora. Abaye, for one, has never heard of it. Now, Perhaps they did make such a takana, and we just have no record of it. And maybe Abaye didn't learn it when he went to yeshiva, but we think it's more likely that the Babylonian authorities simply arrogated that power to themselves for the convenient and understandable reason that a functioning society requires a legal system in which judges are empowered to adjudicate and enforce the law. Without such powers, commercial life would grind to a halt, property owners would have no protection against damages caused by others, and as in Gitin 88b, husbands could with impunity refuse to issue divorces and thereby render their wives agunot. So the Babylonians, hediotot al, non-ordained judges, took the revolutionary step of seizing judicial powers for themselves, because they had to do it. Now, since these Hedyotot were halachists, scholars of the law, they wanted to disguise their revolution, the revolutionary nature of their act. They wanted to claim it was legitimate. They didn't just seize power. They were authorized to take it. To support this claim, they make two arguments. First, they invent the legal theory that we've seen, Shlichotaiho Avdinan. Somewhere, somehow the rabbis of Eretz Israel have appointed us as the agents of their power and allowed us to function in their place. And second, they don't assert that they are the equals of the smuchim. That, that would be too much. They limit their claim of jurisdiction to matters that are absolutely essential, as we see in the Shulchan Aruch passage beginning on line 75. Mm, well, wait a minute, though. That passage begins with the words, Basman hazeh, in the present era, which suggests that even now, when there are no smuchim to grant anybody authority, the present-day Hedyotot still claim to act as their agents. Now, how can that be? Tosafot asks that crucial questions question, and it answers, lines 97 through 101, Dishlihut de kamai av dinan we act as the agents of the original ordained judges, the judges from ancient times. Their power of attorney apparently was meant to last through all generations. Now that claim, an act of chutzpah, if there ever was one, deserves the title Revolution 2.0. But again, it's absolutely necessary, for without such a theory, Jewish law as a legitimate and functioning legal system would have disappeared along with the institution of smicha. Now, there's a lot more to be said about this topic, and we say some of it in an essay posted on our website. You'll find a link at the top of the source sheet. But what we've seen is that the Jewish legal system, according to its classical theory, presumes that most of the Jews live in Eretz Israel and that the institutions of the Sanhedrin and Smicha, ordination, are alive and well. In order for Jewish law to survive and function in a different world— our own world, the rabbis staged a legal revolution. They changed the law in a most fundamental way and they claimed that their change was in fact perfectly consistent with the law as it had always existed. Some you know might describe their actions as an example of I don't know progressive halakha. Well we'll leave that to your decision. In the meantime, this has been the 12-minute shiur number 37 from the Frihoff Institute of Progressive Halakha. Thanks for learning with us. Ot.